Hello. Today on The Thinking Leader, we're talking about autocratic leadership. We're talking about hierarchical organizations, and we're talking about excessive command and control. You may think I'm talking about the military. We are, but this is also highly applicable to the business world today. Tune in and find out more, and also how you can overcome a lot of these problems that we're all facing. Welcome to the Thinking Leader Podcast, sponsored by Red Team Thinking. Bad leaders react, good leaders plan, and great leaders think. Each week, we bring you new ideas and insights from business leaders, military leaders, and thought leaders. Ideas and insights that will help you think more deeply and lead more effectively, so that you can better navigate your complex world. Here again are your hosts... Best-selling business author and top-rated leadership speaker Bryce Hoffman and former Royal Air Force Wing Commander and Business Agility Coach Marcus Dimbleby. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Thinking Leader. Marcus, how are you doing? I'm doing good, my friend. Great to see you again and I'm excited for what we have this week. You've been teasing me all week that you've got something that you know I'm going to love. So what are we going to be discussing? Well, there is a great article in this month's issue of Foreign Affairs, uh, which, to be honest, is the only print magazine I, I still subscribe to and read uh, every issue cover to cover. And it's, it's, it's called Why War Fails, but it could just as easily be called Why Businesses Fail. And it's by... Lawrence Friedman, uh, Emeritus Professor of War Studies at King's College London. And it really looks at the present war in Ukraine and why Russia's failing and then tries to draw some lessons about the difference between Ukrainian leadership and Russian leadership. And as I said, it, 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 it is almost uncanny how applicable some of this stuff is to business. So I just want to share some choice, some choice excerpts with you. We'll put a link in the show notes to the article. But, you know, as, as Professor Friedman states in, in this article, there's really not a difference between being a, a military leader and any other form of leader. He says that, that uh, you know, the same qualities apply to military leaders, deep professional knowledge, the ability to use resources efficiently, good communication skills, the ability to get on with others, a sense of moral purpose and responsibility, and a willingness to care for subordinates. These are the qualities, he says, of a good leader, whether it's a good military leader or a good business leader. Kind of great more. Yeah. But then he talks about other types of leadership that are not so good. So let me start with this little passage here. He, he says that if you look at what's happened in the war in Ukraine, the Russians' plan fell apart within the first 12 to 24 hours of the war. Huh? And yet up until now, so what was that? You know, we're now six months later, Russia has largely continued to pursue much of the same strategy. It's recalibrated a little bit. It didn't do that even for the first month or two. Yeah. But it's it's really just kind of, you know, tried to trudge along. And he said that that 
you know, the problem with that is that even when even when orders that are given by senior leaders to frontline leaders are are initially correct, that they don't necessarily stay correct. And he says, sometimes orders are inappropriate, perhaps because they are based on dated and incomplete intelligence and may therefore be ignored by even the most diligent field officer. In other cases, their implementation might be possible, but unwise, perhaps because there is a better way to achieve the same objective. Faced with orders they dislike or distrust, subordinates can seek alternatives to outright disobedience. They can procrastinate, follow orders half-heartedly, or interpret them in a way that fits better with the situation that confronts them. Again, I think right there, anyone who's worked in a corporation yeah. knows exactly what he's talking about, right? 100%. Absolutely. So here's where it gets really interesting. He says, to avoid these tensions, the modern command philosophy followed in the West has increasingly sought to encourage subordinates to take the initiative to deal with the circumstances at hand. Commanders trust those close to the action to make the vital decisions yet are ready to step in if events go awry. This is the approach Ukrainian forces have adopted. And he goes on to say that's why they've been so successful. This is exactly what we always talk about when we're working with leaders, when we're working with our clients, right? 100%. This yeah, is distributed decision-making. Yeah. And it's interesting how you're talking about that, you know, these illegal orders. If you look at the, you know, the Uniform Code of Military Justice in the U.S., it actually protects soldiers. And it states that they have a moral and legal obligation to the Constitution to not obey unlawful orders. So if you receive a law, an order that you believe to be unlawful or illegal or not, you know, not the right thing for the right reasons, you have a moral obligation and you are protected by the Constitution and the UCMJ to not follow that order. And it's interesting, isn't it, how that's not been applied by the Russians, but we've seen that with the Ukraines. Absolutely. But this idea of distributed decision making is so powerful. As he says, this is a this is a key differentiator. And this is what we this is what all of the stuff that we do with Red Team Thinking is trying to advocate for is giving leaders the tools they need to enable their frontline leaders to make their own decisions and to have the confidence that they'll make good decisions. Absolutely. This is Mission Command 101, isn't it? Outbreak's tactic right. where, you know, the generals are no longer on the battlefield, the senior officers are no longer there. And what you have to do is have what's called a strategic corporal. The, the, the guys and gals on the front line facing the enemy, facing the frontline operations, have the CEO, like Jim Nickricket or the general, on their shoulder. And they've had that devolved right. decision-making. They've been engaged in the planning. They're aware of what the intent is and that whole purpose of commander's intent. If I know that as a frontline operator, I can go forward with the commander's intent and therefore pivot my actions and decision-making in accordance with the intent, not the specific directive of what needs to be done. It's how I do that is down to what's best for the situation. Right. Now, contrast that, as he does, to how the Russians are approaching this. He says, in principle, Russian doctrine allows for local initiative, but the command structures in place do not encourage subordinates to risk disobeying their orders. 
inflexible command systems can lead to excessive caution, a fixation on certain tactics, even when they are inappropriate, and a lack of ground truth as subordinates dare not report problems and instead insist that all is well. All is well. All is green on the rag reporting, sir. Where have we seen that? Is it? I mean, this is this is like this is how most corporations operate. Yeah. Groupthink, the fear factor, people afraid to speak up, even though it's as you said, it's in the principles of command and control, but they don't apply them because they know invariably what the outcomes are. It's career, right. career limiting behaviors that we see that people therefore don't speak up, don't challenge. And, and as you mentioned today, you know, they carry on doing these same old things that they know don't work, but nobody's willing to say, hey, let's stop and look at something different because they know what happens. Right. And it, it, this, this part about lack of ground truth, I mean, that's, that's why the C-suite doesn't know what's going on on the factory floor Correct. or why the C-suite doesn't know what's going on in the retail operations or why the C-suite doesn't know why the supply chain is screwed up. It's because... People are not communicating what what in the military would be called ground truth yeah. back to senior leadership. And why? Because as he says here, subordinates dare not report problems and insist instead insist that all is well. Uh, and interestingly, even where they do, there's often so many layers in the chain of command that even, right. even if the reporting starts to go upwards, we used to have what's called a kernel filter or the rose-tinted spectacles come out and you can't relay bad news upwards. So as the bad news starts to permeate up, when it's you having to say it to the next senior above you, you start to flavor it. And before you know it, it gets to the top and all's well at the coalface, all's well on the front line of operations. And the C-suite thinking everything's going on, everything's great. This is why Toyota came up with go to the Gemba. Get out from behind your mahogany, get out from your glass corner office and go down to the workplace and A, physically see what's going on. Go and see for yourself. Listen to people, hear what they're telling you. And then you can see what's being filtered through your own executive command chain to what the reality is on the coalface. Right. And Genshigen Butsu actually means management by walking around is how it's often translated. That's a great point. So to continue. There's more. Of course there's more. Oh, yeah. There's a lot more. Bring it up. He says the problem, the problem with all of this that we've just described, this, this approach, the Russian approach, the approach of too many corporations is in autocratic systems such as Russia's, officials and officers must think twice before challenging their superiors. Life is easiest when they act on the leader's wishes without question. How many of you who are listening or watching have been in this position in your job where you realize that life is easiest if you simply act on your boss's wishes. So that's all well and good, except he continues. The problem with this is that dictators can certainly make bold decisions in war, but these are far more likely to be based on their own ill-informed assumptions and are unlikely to have been challenged in a careful decision-making process. Dictators tend to surround themselves with like-minded advisors and to prize loyalty above competence. The echo chamber of autocratic leadership is exactly it, it, what we're but about. the it, it, exactly and, and 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 again, this is something we see all the time in business. 
And this idea here of the fact that they don't carefully challenge their assumptions and don't have a careful decision-making process, that's what red team thinking is. It is, a, yeah. it is a process for challenging your assumptions and for carefully making good decisions, not slowly, rapidly, Very. but in a careful and intentional way. Yeah, and that's the issue, isn't it, with these dictators who, as you said, they make so many assumptions, it's their decision. It's, it's not a decision that's being created by a process with a group of knowledgeable individuals. It's their decision that they then impose upon others. And therefore, those receiving that decision, even though they see it is not the right one, they are reticent to push back because life is easy. And from a Russian perspective, your life might be longer if you don't push back as well. We've seen some very... Right. But that's true in corporations. Yeah, your so. career may be longer yes. if you don't push back. Yeah. But what happens to the company? In the long run, that's the question. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? If you're not having that level of engagement and the truth, this is where we talk about the lies we tell ourselves. People hiding behind, as you call it, this this fog of BS that companies constantly, you know, surround themselves with each day. And if you don't confront that, if you don't challenge it, if you go on assuming, then you may think for the short term that's beneficial to you, and it may well be short term careerism wise, but long term. The wheels are going to come off. The cliff is going to approach you at some point downrange when that Just happens. as the wheels are coming yeah. off of the Russian uh, advance yeah. uh, in Ukraine. Six months. Exactly in. the same way. Yeah. This is great stuff. Awesome. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, I, I, I want to finish a couple more quotes from this, this article that I think are going to be equally of interest. Are you a red team thinker? Are you the person in the room who is always asking the tough questions? Do you see what others don't? Do you find yourself muttering, I told you so, too often after plans have gone awry because nobody listened to your good idea? If so, then you might be. Take our free assessment and find out. There's a link to it in the notes below. I can't wait to see how you score. Welcome back, listeners, viewers. We are talking about Why War Fails by Lawrence Friedman. Bryce has a phenomenal article that we've been going through chapter by chapter, and it's bringing out some absolute nuggets. So what do we have next, Mr. Hoffman? Well, and as we said, it's, it could just as well be called Why Business Fails. Yeah. So uh, Professor Friedman continues, and he looks at, you know, start, starts really unpacking the Russian failure in Ukraine. And, and again, some of this stuff just, just jumped out to me from a, from a business point of view. So he says, Putin's mistakes were not unique. They were typical of those made by autocratic leaders who come to believe their own propaganda. He did not test his optimistic assumptions about the ease with which he could achieve victory. So again, this goes to what we always are, are talking about, the need to challenge your own assumptions, yeah. the need to not believe your own propaganda, the need to stop drinking your own Kool-Aid and, and, to, and to get and encourage people on your team to challenge you in a constructive and collegial way. That's, that's what real leaders need. Absolutely. You can't go around, and especially in this complex world we're living in today, thinking you have all the answers. Because I, I don't care how smart you are, how clever you are, how long you've been in your role as chair, CEO, whatever. It's moving too fast. You know, these things are coming at us at a rapid rate of knots from different avenues of approach. 
Nobody has the capacity and capability anymore to deal with this alone. And if you think you do, then that, that's the biggest mistake you're going to make is believing that, especially without validating those assumptions. By all means, create the plan yourself, but ask for challenge, demand challenge. The CEOs we work with are the guys and gals who are out there going, I want you to challenge me. Here's my thinking. Here's my thoughts. I don't have the answers. I know you can help me. What are you going to do? Help me challenge this plan, this strategy. And if you don't do that in this complex world we're in, then again, cliff approaching. And, you know, it, it reminds me of one of my favorite stories that I learned when I was at the U.S. Army's Red Team Leader uh, School at Fort Leavenworth back in 2015. And again, it's a military story, but it could be just as easily a story about a CEO. There, that One of my instructors said that he had a friend who was a uh, three-star general who was promoted to four-star general. And I may have told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. And in, in the U.S. Army, a four-star general is the highest-ranking officer, uh, at least today, that you the highest position you can go to. And when you get promoted in the military, as you know, Marcus, you have a pinning-on ceremony. And it's usually a, a more senior officer pins on your new rank, but because there is no higher rank than four-star, another four-star general pinned on his four-star. And the guy said that at his pinning-on ceremony, as one of his peers pinned on his fourth star, he pulled him close and whispered into his ear, congratulations, no one's ever going to tell you the truth again. <laughs> that's so true. It so and it true. is so true. Yeah. And that's true when you be, get promoted from, from EVP to CEO. It's true when, you know, it's true at, in any organization. And yet that's exactly what you need is you need people to tell you the truth. And otherwise you end up, as he says, like Putin. Who, who simply is believing his own propaganda and has no one who's willing to challenge his overly optimistic assumptions. Yeah, and this is so true. And even if, you know, people tell you what they think you want to hear, even if you're not that kind of person, you know, even if you want the facts, they just won't do that. And, and I, I had a similar story where I went into an organization where they had a new C-suite member come in. And, you know, I, I coached with him, spoke to him. And he's a really genuine individual who was very open and transparent, wanted his team to engage. And he brought me some markets. They're just not. I'm asking them to do this. But he said they're almost just like clamming up. And when I went and spoke to the team, they'd been so much abuse, if you will, previously from their previous executives every time they had spoken up. So it was the old Star Wars thing. This new guy came in and they were like, it's a trap. He's trying to lure us in to then abuse us once more. And it took a few weeks of real almost bonding you know, real team level people bonding and relationship building between each other and the executives to surface this, that, you know, you can't go on behaving this way. It's not effective. The boss at the top wants to be challenged. It's not a trap. He's not trying to lure you into a false sense of, you know, be believing what's going on here. He physically wants you to help him because he doesn't have the answers. And having done that previously, they'd suffered for it. Again, life is easiest when you don't challenge. But this new guy realized that we can't do that anymore. And the business was suffering for it. So it, it's a conundrum. And it's not always. I, it is a conundrum, yeah. but it's easy. It's an easy conundrum to overcome. Easily. You know, one of the things, as you know, that we do yeah. is uh, we have a little game that we play with a lot of our clients called Lies We Tell Ourselves. <clears throat> and we, 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 there's, there's a whole format to it, but, but we get people at the beginning of a workshop. With the, with the leader in the room, with the CEO, the four-star general, whoever it is in the room, 
with them with them being the ones saying, I want to do this, mm-hmm. tell us, and it's it's more formal than this, but you know, basically tell us what are the lies we tell ourselves as an organization. I have never been in a situation where once that has happened, people then don't start sharing all sorts of stuff with the leader of the organization because they've been given permission and they've seen that the leader of the organization wants to hear the truth. And that's transformational. And you've seen it. And it's, it's like, it's like, it, it's just like a chemical catalyst. Like, you know, when you're in high school chemistry and, you know, you drop something in and it changes the color of the entire liquid. Yeah. That's what it's like. It changes the organization that quick because now people have permission to speak up. Yeah, I mean, one of our recent clients said, didn't they? They said they'd gone back and they'd infected. They said, no pun intended with COVID. They said, but we are infecting our colleagues at work with this behavior because, as you said, you just you drop it in there and it quickly permeates because once you see this, once you get it out there, A, you can't put the lid back on it because people are going to go, hey, what about that thing we mentioned last week that was really big that we're now going to ignore? You can't ignore it. And because you've all surfaced it collectively, it's not me coming up to you as a boss and going, hey, boss, I think this is a problem. And then you go, Marcus, be quiet. Keep that to yourself and don't mention it. Otherwise, the bonus is gone. The way these tools work, nobody knows who surfaced it. It all surfaces collectively and it's visible there in black and white or a yellow post-it, whatever. And nobody can go put that back away now. We can't unsee it. And once you've done that, you have to take action. And it's a nice thing. It's to like do. taking the red pill in the matrix. <laughs> you know, I love a red pill. So I'm not going to go there. That, that could be interpreted many different ways. <laughs> not the blue pill. I'm not that old. Um, <laughs> so to, to continue with, with professor Friedman's article, um, he, he, he goes on to talk about this this type of leader like Putin, though, who, who doesn't want to be challenged, yeah. who doesn't want their assumptions tested. And he says he also relied on a rigid hierarchical <laughs> command structure. Let me let me try that again. Easy for you he to say. Also re- yeah. He also relied on a rigid and hierarchical command structure that was unable to absorb and adapt to information from the ground and crucially did not enable Russian units to respond rapidly to changing circumstances. Again, this is what we talk about all the time with businesses. That's the value of distributed decision-making. I'm trying not to be triggered here. I really am. (laughs) Exactly. These structures that these organizations, I, I, I did a podcast this morning with someone and they were like saying, you're from the military. You're from a very hierarchical command and control structured organization. And I said, dude, I said, that's your bias kicking in. That's a perspective that people think the military is like that. You know, most modern Western militaries aren't like that anymore. We have this mission command. Right. I have worked in more businesses that are more command and control, more rigid, hierarchical, layer by layer by layer than I have in many military forces. Many military. That's like our... Our, 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 the head of our intelligence practice, Val Letelier, who's, who's a former senior CIA officer, you know, he, he was he was making a comment in one of our workshops about how I'm going to share an example. You know, I, re- I realize this doesn't apply to business because bl- business is not as bureaucratic a, a, as government is. But in the CIA XXX, you know, uh, this is how decisions are sometimes made. And, and the and there were there there was like a CEO and, and a CFO in the workshop, and they both said, "What do you mean? 
That's exactly how businesses operate. That's how every corporation we, we've ever worked in operate. Yeah. And he was really, he's like, I imagine that corporations were like, you know, lean and agile and, you know, everybody was, was, was rowing together yeah. and, uh, you know, challenging each other in a collegial way. No, it's, it's, it's not that. That way. was my biggest shock. When I left the military, again, you get sort of molded into the military mindset and you have a perspective of how things work out in this big commercial world where people wear suits and stuff. And I got into it thinking, hey, I'm going to learn so much here from agility. And I was being way more agile than most companies I've worked with back in 1992, you know, with my team right. there. And it's interesting, isn't it? And where you see the militaries, and we've seen it with Russia versus Ukraine, mission command, commander's intent, devolved decision-making responsibility. And what we talked about today was about command and control and so many organizations. And if you're out there listening to that old blackadder, you know, command and control is a dirty, dirty word, dirty phrase. It's because people lock it together. And what they don't realize is that the rubber band in the middle is the and. It's not fixed. You have to retain command, but you need to push control down. And it's that ability, and you mentioned it earlier, devolve decision-making. That's the control. And if you can't let go of that and push it down to where the information is happening the most rapid so your teams can make the most effective decisions, then you're not ever going to have control. You have this delusion of having control, but really you don't. And, and, and folks, Marcus has not seen this article. So this is going to... To yes and you, I'll let, I'll let Professor Friedman yes and you here. Literally the next paragraph says, <laughs> the value of delegated authority and local initiative will be one of the key lessons from this war. Boom. But for these practices to be effective, the military in question must be able to satisfy four conditions. You ready for this? Go on. Now, just substitute military in question for corporation in question. First, there must be mutual trust between those at the senior and most junior levels of command. Those at the highest level of command must have confidence that their subordinates have the intelligence and ability to do the right thing in demanding circumstances, while subordinates must have confidence that the high command will provide what backing they can. Love it. Love it. Goes back to clarity, goes back to capability, goes back to creating the culture that you need to enable these high-level speed decisions to be made. I mean, this is red to ease calling for one team. One. Mutual trust. Lencioni talks about it, does he? Foundations of five dysfunctions is trust. If you don't have trust, how can you have healthy conflict? That trust has to be mutual. And this is what's, you know, we talk about executives relinquishing this control. And then you go and talk to the people at the front line. They're always looking upwards to blame the executives. It's their fault. But the executives have to, as it says there, you have to trust your subordinates to release that control to them. So therefore, you, right. you have to demonstrate your knowledge, your skills, your capability, your accountability and willingness to take that control. Because a lot of people don't want it either. They talk about it, but when they're, offered it or given it, oh, maybe I don't want that. That's a bit of a bit of a, a big ask for me to do that. So why should I take that? Let someone else, if this goes wrong, take the blame for that. So very, very great, great set of work, mutual trust, high confidence, two-way street of behaviors and beliefs. Really powerful. But this is exactly what we're talking about. This is what red team thinking creates and enables very quickly 
in any organization with any levels of hierarchy within. Absolutely. And folks, go back and listen to our previous episodes if you haven't or watch our previous episodes on the three C's. Yeah. Because we talk about this all the time, clarity, capability, and culture. And that's exactly what he's saying is, is, is what the secret for leadership success in war is, but it's also the secret for leadership success in business. It's a great article. As I said, uh, the August edition of Foreign Affairs, Why War Fails by Lawrence Friedman. We'll put a link in the show notes. There's a lot more good stuff in, in this article that we haven't had time to cover. Have a look. Check it out. Let us know what you think in the comments below. I'm looking forward to reading that. That was a great insight to the article. Thank you for sharing that with us, Bryce. Great discussion. Thank you for listening to the Thinking Leader podcast, sponsored by Red Team Thinking. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss the next idea-filled episode. Also, check out Bryce and Marcus's YouTube channel, Red Team TV. There you'll find video of today's podcast as well as previous episodes. And don't forget to visit redteamthinking.com to learn more about Red Team Thinking work and Marcus and Bryce's upcoming online courses. While you're there, take our free quiz to find out how you rate as a Red Team Thinker and if your organization has a Red Team culture. Because who thinks wins?